Hello, Maxine Tima'a Kavithid Kamraig, Ryan and Rob. Hi, Maxine here, Ryan and Rob's Welsh translator. The Chin Grando are Podlidiad Newid, Fearless in Devotion. You're listening to Fearless in Devotion, a new podcast all about Wrexham AFC. Here they come, our mighty champions. Raise your voices to the anthem. Marching like a mighty army, Wrexham is the name. Hello, Croix on all to Fearless in Devotion with me, Reese in Swansea, Tim and Liam in Wrexham and Andy in crime-ridden North London. Andy's actually working tonight, uh, so he's only going to be with us intermittently. So we're just going to keep insulting him every now and again to check if he's still listening. Anyway, Fearless in Devotion is the podcast all about Wrexham AFC, sponsored by the most stylish bar and restaurant in the whole of Wales, the Fat Boar. Tim, what do you most admire about the Fat Boar? Ooh, well, what, what, what can you say? When you marry perfect ambience with undisputable customer service, mm, you mm. get the best time, whether you're there for two hours, seven hours or whatever. And we're not just blowing smoke up a proverbial person's behind. That's just the facts of the matter. Food's good. Everything else is good. Top dollar. Well, it's time now for an extra special guest anyway. As part of our lucrative contract with the Fat Boy, we've had to sell our souls. Part of the deal is that when one of us can't make the podcast, then the Don himself will come on to take the place. Rich Watkin, yes, he's quite literally bought himself a seat at the table, so we thought we'd introduce him to you today. Welcome to the podcast, Rich. Good evening, gents. Thanks for having me. Uh, Pleasure to have you on. Uh, And lots to discuss this week as well. Um, in terms of uh, news, of course. But before we touch on that, sort of talk to us about your story as a Wrexham fan. When, when did it all begin? Um, I, I was young. I don't pretend to remember my first ever game. Um, my, my dad took me when I was sort of, I think, five or six. So it would have been sort of late 80s. Um, and then I, I kind of, I was lucky, really. Um, the first season that I've got great memories of was the promotion season. Um, and so as a young lad, I kind of thought this was going to happen all the time, um, that <laughs> winning promotion was going to be easy. Uh, and, you know, you always had strikers who scored 30-odd goals. We always played great football. You always had Carl Connolly doing his bits. Um, and it, obviously, as, as time's gone on and I've, I've sort of grew up, I was fortunate enough to, to sort of get involved with guys who would go in week in, week out. So sort of getting to away games from, a, from you know, relatively an early age, sort of 15, 16 was quite easy for me. Um, so I, I sort of, sort of my te- late teenage years, early 20s, I would say they were the years when I was probably what you classify as a staunch fan going here, there and everywhere, week in, week out. You know, Welsh Cup, Premier Cup ties to Barry get, get called off 15 minutes before the kickoff because of the rain and all that kind of jazz. Um, and then probably, to be honest, the last few years with us, um, in the in the sort of non league, I think work and, and private life with with my with my family has taken over a little bit. So don't get to as many games away from home as I'd like now. But still, always had a season ticket, sit in the in the same spot and have done for years with you know great group of friends who have who have gone with for what probably twenty odd years. Um, and hoping this might be the season that finally that we uh, that we manage to go up and, and get back into the football league pyramid. 
Well, let's hope so. Um, and today we've had our first inclination of what maybe we can expect over the next season. Um, Liam's going to talk to us about the reaction to it in a second. But Tim, just tell us who who have we signed? It's the first sign-ins of the Phil Parkinson era. He's, he's got two in the building, to uh, to quote the old, old manager. So we've got um, Liam McAlinden, um, striker, and we've got... Sean Brisley, centre half, um, experienced, um, played for Peterborough. Came, I think it was last at Port Vale. So yeah, um, astute, both on two-year deals. So um, I think this goes back to what Andy was saying last week about it very much being more than just a, the twelve-month rolling contract thing with Parkinson. They're looking to build. Um, and that's why they're getting players in on two-year deals. But they seem astute signings. Not, it's not set the world on fire for every fan. But, you know, again, we've got to temper our expectations. We're not going to go out and necessarily get players that are championship level or whatever. But, you know, as somebody pointed out on Twitter before, we've gone out and got a manager that's managed it at a higher level than where we are. And we've gone out and grabbed two players that have been playing at a higher level than where we are. So, you know... Whichever way you look at it, it's it's a it's a promising start, and uh, hopefully the floodgates will open for for many more to come through next week. Liam, you're our Red Passion correspondent and um, Twitter to an extent as well. What's the reaction been like? Um, safe to say, pretty mixed. To be honest, um, I think some people's expectations have been sky high since the takeover went through and I'll be 100% honest and say I hadn't heard of either player myself um, because I'm incapable of independent thought. I've gone on uh, Port Vale forum and um, a Morecambe forum just to get a flavour of what they think. Uh, Brisley comments seem to be that he's a steady, dependable centre-back um, and fortunate not to be offered a new deal at Port Vale um, and did exceptionally well when he did actually come into the team. So in, in many respects, sounds like a bit of a, a like-for-like replacement for for Sean Pearson. Um, I think the, the, the second signing was the one that sort of got the biggest mixed reaction, Liam McLinden. But um, I've got a quote here from a Morecambe fan account. They said, intelligent player, crucial to our playoff success due to a couple of injuries. He's not afraid to get himself around the pitch, run at players, good at holding on to the ball and getting his head up to spot passes. So I've got a question. And I've got, my question is aimed towards Rich. So what do you think about this then? Sean Bisley, 31-year-old centre-half, gets a two-year deal. Sean Pearson, same <laughs> age, doesn't get a two-year deal. What's the difference there? <laughs> That's a really harsh question to ask me. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess there was a man. There's now a manager in place, and I think when and it's, it is difficult for me to talk about because I don't think anybody um, would expect me not to say that myself and Sean Sean Pearson are, are, are good friends. So it's his story to tell, not mine, is what I would say. But of course, I was in in touch with him throughout the process, and as a friend, I'm you know I'm, I'm gutted he's gone. But I think. I think really, I don't. I, I hope there isn't a massive, massive difference. I've got to be honest because I think losing Sean Pearson, the leader, um, the guy who who ran that changing room, who who set the tone for the rest of his teammates and 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 to what level they should behave and perform at, um, to have lost that. I, I personally, 
putting friendship aside, I thought was a massive loss. So I hope this guy coming in, the, the new Sean, the new improved Sean, um, is is somebody who who sort of has those qualities. Um, but but I, th- I think I think to be honest, what it comes down to is you've now got a manager in charge, and if that's if that's who the manager wants, um, then they then he has to be backed. And I think for me, the whole process now is this is Phil Parkinson's football club now. So if if that's who Phil Parkinson wants, then that's who we have to get. And I think if if you'd gone back sort of 10 days ago and and got 10 Wrexham fans and said, who do you want as your manager? You probably would have got six or seven different answers. Um, And and there are building blocks that have to come into any team. Now, I think we're all hoping for the sort of signing that absolutely knocks our socks off. But actually, we need a squad and a squad of sort of 18 to 20 players, not every single signing is going to, you know, light the world up. Um, but this could, you know, both these signings come nine months time might, might turn out to be the most astute two signings that we make. You just don't know. That was a bit of a hospital ball. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Cheers, mate. I'm not paying 50 quid this week. (laughs) I was going to say, it's it's absolutely fine, it's nice having. It's like having a more eloquent Andy Gilpin on the podcast. He should do this every week. Last drunk as well. Yeah. Hey, I saw the amount of cocktails you had, Liam. So you know <laughs> what. What I'd say about these signings and McIlinden in, in in particular. Right, you look at him. Well, I looked at him. He's broad shoulders. He's six foot. He's not a proper. You know, people say he's not really a centre half. He's the sort of person who can who can run at people. I'm looking Danny Wright. I'm looking someone who can really hasn't. You know, Danny Wright didn't have a great goal record before he came here. But what he did do, he started well. And sometimes you get a striker in who starts well at a club, who has a good couple of games, who you know scores a few goals and it clicks for them all all of a sudden their goal record doesn't doesn't matter how many times have we seen strikers who all of a sudden just explode one season Paul Mullin who's a guy who's a guy we might talk about later Paul Mullin at Cambridge didn't have a brilliant record as a striker but came to Cambridge all clicked for him his confidence was up he had a great season why can't McIlinden have the same effect here Andy Morell as well you know I mean uh, I, I think um uh, the point Tim, Tim sort of alluded to it, and you know I tend to agree, is that you don't be. He was part of the first team of a team that got promoted to the playoffs. You know, there's absolutely no doubt there have been League Two teams sniffing about for him. I'm, I'm sure they offered him deals. So we've basically nabbed a League Two striker, and um, as you say, um, the centre back Sean Brisley, um, you know, looks experienced. Um, and again, is a League Two player. So Les Reed and Phil Parkinson know a lot more about football than uh, than I do. So I'm I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt on this one and, and see where we go. More news at the club is fixtures were released this week. So we're at a home game to start with, which is always nice. Yeovil, uh, any fixtures stand out for you, Tim? Uh, not really. It's it's always a case of you know because c- because of lockdown and and everything else, you kind of tend to look for Stockport. Um, and obviously we've got them in our sort of penultimate game of the season, so the last home game. So that would be quite nice if we're there or thereabouts, or you know, grand coronation of the champions. Whether it's going to be us or Stockport, I don't know. Um, so that one, uh, Notts County away on is it January the second. Cracker, um, so that's good. Sandwich between the sort of Altrincham double header, I think, is it? Um, so yeah, I just tend to look for the 
you know, with the greatest respect to the other teams, it's nice to go to to Edgeley Park and 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 you know um, the county ground just because you know, we were used to going back to back to those football league style grounds back in the day, I guess. So so those are the obvious ones, um, and I think South End as well. You always look for the ones who who are, who are joining the league from either way. So yeah, I was going to say South End just because last time I went there, um, I hit a bottle of Mad Dog Twenty Twenty under a traffic cone. I just want to see if it's still there. <laughs> There's every chance. <laughs> didn't they? They were uh, stadium nearly burnt down a month or two ago, didn't it? There was a fire there, but I think I don't think it did burn. Down. Um, I mean, I hope you didn't read that in the Daily Star because we broke that story, and uh, yeah, it, it didn't really nearly break down. Oh, wow. It was, it was but, just it was a building next to it. Just wow. fake news, Merchant Gilpin. At again. <laughs> has, has anybody else got a business to plug while we're on here? <laughs> Do you want to plug the police, Tim? No, you're all right. <laughs> yeah. popular. I'm, go- I'm going to come to that by by virtue of my uh, my shitey heroes nominee nominee. So it'll be fine. Oh well, there we go. Um, <laughs> and speaking of shitey heroes, we've got some of our uh, regular features coming up um, later. But uh, moving on, first and foremost, last week we promised you a another viewpoint on Phil Parkinson from a from a club where he quote-unquote succeeded, I suppose, and, and we've done that this week. A little earlier, Andy spoke with journalist and writer Mark Douglas, who's been a Bradford fan for 30 years. Thanks very much for joining us, uh, Mark Douglas. Now, Mark, you work for the Reach uh, sports team, but you're, you're a big Bradford fan, aren't you? Yeah, I, you know, it's my it's my cross the bear. Um, but uh, yeah, mm. I cover, cover Newcastle United for 10 years and support Bradford City. So I'm not sure exactly what I've done wrong to kind of <laughs> deserve both of those things. But yeah, for my sins, I, I've, I've been a Bradford fan for uh, 30 years. So... Last week, we talked to a Sunderland fan and we talked to a Hull City fan. And I'll be honest, it was a wave of negativity about Phil Parkinson. And we thought straight away, we need to redress the balance. So, so Mark, please give us something to hold on to. Is Phil Parkinson going to be a good boss for XMFC? Well, all I can tell you about Phil Parkinson is um, that he saved Bradford City, in my opinion. That is how good his spell at City was. Um, when he took the job, they were um, in League Two um, in very real danger of actually getting relegated out of the league. Um, and he came in and his style was very, you know, very unflashy. It was, he just got down to work really, really quickly. Um, we, we, I knew he'd obviously not had best of times at Hull. So I think that's why he ended up in the lower reaches of League Two. Um, but he came in, he, he had a he had a rescue job to do in the first season of Bradford. Um, the squad had been poorly recruited. There, was, uh, there wasn't much money at City. Um, they'd not addressed the um, a lot of the playing problems that they'd had the season before. And he came in, he got them playing very functional football, to be perfectly honest. But it was exactly what they needed. So they needed to scrape together enough points to stay in the division, which is exactly what they did. And then they proceeded to go on a run of... Every season, they got better uh, in terms of league position, uh, in terms of the quality of the squad. And in the next season, after the season that they stayed up, they got to the League Cup final, which was still to this day one of the most incredible runs 
I've ever known. And, you know, it wasn't a run where they were they were getting screened together um, mm. lucky wins. They beat a an Arsenal team that were full strength at the time. You know, when Jack Wilshire was one of the best young players in England, they had him pulling the strings. Bradford set up absolutely brilliantly. Tactically, they were they were first class. He got his recruitment right that season. So they they recruited really well in all the key positions. He knew exactly what he wanted out of, out of Bradford. He came in and I think... You know, I don't know too much about exactly where Wrexham are in their terms of their development. But my my impression of Wrexham is it's a club that's unbelievable that they're in one league. They have the potential to be, at the very least, a League One club. Um, potentially, for being, yeah. potentially for being a championship club if they get it right. You know, you look at what Swansea and other clubs who I who growing up, I've always seen Wrexham as a similar size club to that. You know, and they, and I think Wrexham and Bradford probably not a million miles away in terms of the the kind of the way that the the the, the club fan base is what they expect from their teams. They expect their teams to be hardworking, exciting at the same time. And Bradford, you know, I think the, the one thing looking back that Bradford fans maybe say about Phil Parkinson is the football was quite, you know, that the, the, it was, you know, the, they they fought hard. You know, sometimes it was fairly direct. But I've yeah. got to be honest, yeah. I never, I never really, I never had a problem with that because do you know what they did? They fought, they battled, they scrapped. And as soon as he went, okay, the next season afterwards, Stuart McCall got to the got to Wembley. But we're now back in League Two. Um, we we're basically having to rebuild from the exact position where he was, and that's that's a lesson in terms of you know I know Sunderland obviously didn't like Phil Parkinson, but mm. Lee Johnson wasn't mm-hmm. taking them on. Um, yeah, you know, Paul. They had a period afterwards where where things didn't go right, and and I think. The problem that sometimes Phil Parkinson has had at places like Sunderland and Hull, you know, maybe they're clubs that um, have had, you know, especially Sunderland. I mean, it's a club that I, I've covered as well. They've had yeah, yeah. very yeah. high-profile managers since. And Phil Parkinson, I think nobody really wanted him when he when he came in. But if I look at Wrexham, I would say, for me, you know, you look at the job that he did at Bolton, you look at the job that he did at Bradford. He came in when you were at an ebb where, you know, a lowish ebb. Hmm recruited really well had a very clear playing style and you know yes okay it might not be uh, it might not be the most flowing free-flowing football that you'll ever see but uh, you know people say the same about um rafa benitez who was a who's at uh, newcastle when we were up here yeah you know i've seen a lot of managers at bradford come in and say we're going to try and play a certain way but Phil Parkinson had them playing good football, some really exciting stuff that season um, that they that they eventually went up. But he also had a team of fighters, and they were they came in and they are remembered at Bradford. I mean, they've actually named the lounge the twenty twenty thirteen lounge now named after these players. And Phil Parkinson is, um, you know, I think now that he's kind of he's gone. I, I I think at Bradford he will be remembered as one of, if not the best manager that we've ever had because he was that. He was that good, um, you know. And I forget to even mention that they went to the quarterfinals of the FA Cup the season they were in League One. They beat Sunderland. They beat Chelsea. The only team to beat Jose Mourinho's Chelsea. I remember that. That, that season. Yeah. You know, and that was, yeah. and again, you know, you talk about tactically setting a team up to, to, to win, you know. My only concern about him would be that he's obviously gone through the, the, what he's gone through with Sunderland. You know, it's obviously a few years now since he, since he left Bradford. And, and is he, you know, is he the same manager that he was then? But, you know, for the, the situation and what Wrexham need to do next season, which is get out of a very difficult league um, that Hartlepool have just got out of, you know, pretty much through knowing when to grind results out. Mm. That league is, I mean, 
it looked at one point this season if Bradford were going to get relegated into that league. And I was absolutely petrified of getting relegated into that league because I think that's a harder league to get out of than any of the leagues in the in the in the football league because there's one, there's only two spots to come out for a start. And secondly, the you know, you, you, there's no. It doesn't matter that you're Wrexham. It doesn't matter that you're, you know, that you're not County. It doesn't matter because you've got teams that come out of that league who are, you know, who seem to have been together for years and years and years, and they need you need to <laughs> fight in. You need to, you know, Wrexham have got long trips all season. You know, it, it's such a hard league to get out. Of. And I just think Parky is, for me, the perfect person to come in and 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 rally and rally the troops and get and, and you know get you into that position where you need to be, which is hard to be, but also putting together the wins that you need to um to to, to get into the top top. Uh, well, you need to win the league, don't you? Basically, because I don't think you want to take more or less. Position. Yeah, Mark, that's music to my ears in two ways. One, you've given me the positivity I need. Secondly, you've answered all my questions in one go. <laughs> I've got a list of questions here, and you've just you've just decimated the whole of a lot of them. Can we look? a bit more at recruitment. So he's coming in at a time now uh, where he's got a bit of time to build. He's got the core of last season's squad, which just, just missed out on, on, on promotion. So he just missed out on the playoffs. Like, because what, what he'll find at the moment is he's got, he's got a few players um, at Wrexham, but he's going to have to build quite a bit. He's especially going to have to look at, at centre halves, um, and we've only got one, which is a, a guy you probably know called Tyler French. He's also probably going to have to have to get someone for midfield as well, and definitely strikers. What would he sort of go for there? Will he go for experience? Will he go for a for a for a young player from a Premier League side? I, I would think. I mean, judging on what he did at what he did at City, um, you know, it was all about strengthening the, the kind of core of the team. Um, he knew you needed a strong spine. Um, defensively, brought in, brought in really well. He, he recruited experience, to be honest, through the middle of the field. Um, he recognised we needed a leader, um, especially I think it was a midfield ball, ball winner that was his, his biggest signing really at City. It was uh, a guy called Gary Jones who, uh, you know, been at Rochdale, um, had a you know really good career. I mean, he, you know, he, one of those guys who. You bring him in and suddenly he's the linchpin of the team, became an absolutely huge favourite um, City and was just such a massive, uh, massive influence on that team. So I think what he'll probably look to do is bring in one or two players in, in, in his kind of, you know, in the mould of uh, the kind of teams that he that he had at Bradford. So I'd, I'd expect an experienced centre-half, I'd expect experience in central, central midfield. He's got a lot of contact in the game. So I don't think he'll have a problem bringing those kind of players in. And, you know, Rex is such a good story that I think he'll probably did the same thing that he did at Bradford, which is say, look, you can join this club that's, um, you know, far too low down in the pyramid for, for, for actually what, what it should be, you know. And, and I think he'll kind of be able to sell that vision. Something that's quite interesting, I think, when he was at Bradford was he um, he brought in well from Premier League clubs. He, he signed a lad called Josh Cullen from West Ham. Uh, he was only, I think, 18 or 19 when he uh, when he came to us. But played like he was, um, played like he was kind of, you know, in his... Uh, uh, in his in his late twenties, he was he was that good. He was you know big influence on the team. Um, got us. Uh, I think it was he, it was the League One season where we actually got into the playoffs. Where he, where he brought him in. That was kind of after we got uh, got promoted from uh, from League Two. And he and he was superb, absolutely excellent. He also you know he brought in a, he brought in a few players of that kind of mould. He he did he did tend to know. I mean the one thing I would say about recruitment, which 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 we did tend to get was. Um, Probably the nature of the budget that he had because he, he used to bring in a lot of players on loan. In days when it was kind of unlimited loans, and you could, you could, you know, they had that emergency loan system, and he would bring in a lot of players for sort of one month loans. 
give him a game and sort of decide after one game he's not really for me and, and you wouldn't hear much mm. more from him. We did get a few of those a few of those uh, kind of players at Bradford, but he sort of gamed the market a little bit. It was what he was trying to do. The one thing that I think he, he really didn't do that well in terms of recruitment was, was strikers. He brought in a Aaron McLean who um, scored a hat full of goals at Peterborough. But he uh, he just wasn't he just wasn't the right fit for Bradford. That was after we sold Naki Wells, who was you know our, our main source of goals when we when we were in League One. Um, and so you know it tended to be ironically with the bigger budget that he had, he tended not to get those signings as good as, as the ones that he got at the start of that first season. And I think what I would look to what I would, would think at, at Wrexham would be that he would look for somebody with that kind of experience and then maybe supplement it with one or two loans you know his contacts in the game are excellent so i would expect him to to look to bring in either you know guys from from the premier league or championship who've you know maybe got a point to prove and, and i think his selling point will probably be similar to what it was at bradford which is look you can play in front of hopefully i mean fingers crossed if if, uh, if you know we don't have any problems with the, with the pandemic again you'll play in front of big crowds yes there'll be expectation but his, his selling points to other clubs the clubs is you want your young players to play under a bit of pressure the pressure's here, you know. We were, we're probably the most high-profile club in the uh, in the national uh, national league. So, you know, you are coming in, you get you getting a good you getting a good uh, a good ground in there. But I I would think, you know, if it's anything like he was at Bradford in that first season, it will be all about stamping uh, his ID on the team. It'll be making you difficult to beat. You know, I, I mean, watching out from from the outside last season when you know you, you've been let down pretty much by kind of mistakes, and it was. Fine margins, really, wasn't it? At the end, yeah, you know, losing was, yeah. the odd game where you, you, you probably should have been in the playoffs when you're looking at it from the mm, outside. Yeah. And I think that's what he'll that's what he'll say. Look, make us difficult to beat. We've got to find points through this season. We won't always be beautiful to watch, but it's about going through a whole season. I think League Two and the, the National League are effectively the same league for me. There's hardly yeah. I mean, you see the yeah. amount of teams that come through the National League and then go up the next season as well. Um, and it, it, you know they're the same league, and so his blueprint for what he did at Bradford will probably be very, very similar. Did he do much with the youth system? Did did you see any sort of uh, sort of centre of excellence players come through? Well, I, it was a, it's a funny one, really, because you know Bradford. I think we, we've always kind of we've had it. We've got a good sort of setup in terms of like the, the lads that we bring in at a very young age um, have gone on to do really, really well, but they don't tend to come into the uh, come into the team uh, because they, they tend to get snapped up by other by other clubs. The one thing that he was absolutely brilliant with was um, obviously you'll have heard of Ollie McBurney, um, who yeah, yeah. was you know, obviously you know he's placed for Scotland now and and, and um, you know went for an absolute uh, song for, to Sheffield United. He spotted the talent in Ollie McBurney at sort of I think he was 17, 16, 17. He gave him a run of games in uh, in League One uh, when he was you know before. He was probably ready for it, but he but he did have a massive amount of faith in in McBurney. Gave him uh, gave him the gains. Probably, as I said, he, you know, probably a little bit before his time, but he had that he had that faith in it. Um, I don't think there was a hell of a lot in the academy for him really to to, to pick from right. uh, Bradford. But I think his experience with McBurney was showed that he, he felt that you know if you were good enough, you were you were old enough. And the fact that he you know went to he went to West Ham and took Colin Naki um, Wells was a, one who came through. Uh, not on his watch, but he really developed Wells, who, uh, you know, I mean, when he uh, when he came in, I think Wells really didn't have much, you know, we, we signed him from Carlisle, but it was it was very much a, um, 
picking somebody up who came on a recommendation and stuff. And he really developed under Parkinson. So he did make players better at Bradford. I think there were the one or two stagnated. I wouldn't say he was, you know, youth, um, youth kind of uh, taking chances on youth was, was his biggest thing. Um, I think we're, we're kind of like as a club now, Bradford are probably better at it now. They've got three or four coming through. But he, he's not afraid to put in young players if he feels they're good enough. And I, and I would be very surprised if he didn't if he didn't take a very close look at what you guys have got coming through because um, he's that kind of manager. He's a little bit, you know, if he gets the chance, so if you, you know, as long as he has a good start, I think the problem with Sunderland, you know, you've spoken to the guys at Sunderland, the problem with Sunderland was he didn't get the best of starts there. Towards the end of it, when the uh, pandemic caused the, the games to be called off, he was starting to put his, uh, his imprint on the team. And of course, he's starting the next season. He was always up against it at Sunderland because he wasn't wanted. So I think it'll be, very much a case. I would think, I mean, I don't know, you might be able to tell me what, what Wrexham fans think of the appointment, uh, but if it's kind of like a similar situation at Bradford where you're like, look, this is this is a guy who, who you know has got a decent track record and we'll give him a chance, you know, mm. I think if he gets a chance at Wrexham, I, I, would, I would think he'll be, he'll do a good job. His record overall at Sunderland wasn't that bad. He didn't get them where they needed to be, but like I said earlier, Lee Johnson didn't get them promoted. Um, you know, they, they haven't done well. No manager has gone there and done well um, for a long, long time. Chris Coleman went in and, you know, it didn't work for him. And he's a good manager, yeah. you know. You yeah. can't, it's yeah, basically yeah. ruined his kind of club career. Uh, but he's, he, that's the way I sort of see it with Phil Parkinson, yeah. the right club. You get, the managers get written off too early, I think. And you need to look at his whole body of work. And what he did at Bradford, he should have had a better job than Bolton. Um yeah, it was amazing for me that no championship club came in for him when he was at, when he was at City. He, he did everything that a manager should have to do um, to get a job, but he, he was just he's, probably his face didn't fit. Um, but I would think he absolutely. It's, it says a lot that he came down to Wrexham because when the Bradford job came up, um, which was uh, when McCall got the sack at Christmas, he just left Sunderland. The word that came back from him was, "I'm not looking to Bradford," and I think. The implication was I'm not looking to League Two at this moment. I feel my level is higher. So mm. I would think that probably he would think his level's higher than the National League, but he'll have been attracted to the project and the idea of what's going on at Wrexham. So, you know, you are getting a manager, I think, who probably could manage at a higher level than the National League. Um, so I would, you know, I, I would think it's a really good appointment. And he'll have a lot of goodwill from Bradford. Great. I mean, what would you say to so how we how we sort of backing him? We we just want someone to get us up, and you know we will put our faith and our complete support behind someone who's gonna who's gonna do that. And we'll realise it could take a season. It could even take two seasons. We'll be fine with that. You know, we've been down there for 13, 14 years. We're, we're happy to sort of see if the club is going in the right direction. We will back that manager to to help sort of deliver that dream. Just just one last thing from me. Do you know much about Steve Park and his assistant? And what he yeah, Park, yeah, Parkin was. I mean, um, I'm not sure whether I haven't, I haven't exactly followed. Has he brought in the strength and conditioning guy as well? Um, no, he's he's still waiting to appoint one coach, which I think would be more of a fitness based coach. Uh, sorry, more of a sort of a, a first team coach. But I think the backroom staff there are some there, but I think he'll be able to bring his own in as well. Because uh, Parkin was Parkin was um, you know very much you know that they are he follows him everywhere everywhere he goes. Parkin's a you know, I think he, again a really, a really kind of good. It's a, I don't like the term good football man, but he is a good football man. You know, he knows. He 
he's been in the game really well respected from the people that I speak to in the, in the game they would say that you know the pair of them have a lot of goodwill through the football pyramid um what what was really noticeable about um, about City? I mean, this this is how this is how old this is how old I feel now. Is like that it's eight years ago, and I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but it's the uh, strength and conditioning coach that he brought in, and it will come to me. And you'll probably be able to go back, you know, if, if Rex and Buttons Google it. But they were very very fit, the Bradford players. They never um, they played the whole season uh, when they got to the League Cup final. They probably played an extra. Because uh, actually, I think they, they got through to the third round of the FA Cup that year as well, obviously starting the first first round. They uh, they were incredibly fit, uh, really well conditioned. They hardly got any injuries that season. And in fact, through the entire time that he was manager, I can't remember getting too many, too many, um, too many injuries. So to me, that feels like that is, a, you know, a setup that, that works. They've got they've got the strength and conditioning guy in place. Uh, but I'm assuming if he's if he's, you know, if maybe Wrexham have already got somebody in place who can do that job you know, they'll, they'll be happy to work with him. But Steve Parkin, yeah, I mean, you know, no nonsense. I, I tell you, if you, you you can Google um, the amount of times Steve and Phil got into kind of touchline scrapes, they don't take a, yeah. they don't take a, a, a you know, a step back from anybody. Um, Stephen Presley uh, reminds me of one. Um, they uh, they had a few run-ins with, um, uh, I'm trying to think who else. There was, there was a few, all the combustible characters in League One, they basically... You know, they, they had they had a, you know, it was him and Steve Parkin um, sort of on, on the touchline standing up for their team, which was which is another thing that people kind of, kind of really liked at, at Bradford. But yeah, good, good guy. I think he does. I think, I think Parkin's a coach. So um, Parkin and Parkinson share the coaching duty. He's not, a, he's not just a kind of, you know, hands-off manager, um, but you would see Parkin doing a lot of the sessions. Um, but they, you know, tactically, they, they kind of, they're in sync there. Um, you know, they're, they're just, they're just solid um managers and, and coaching staff you know you're not you know it's not a it's not a whizzy appointment but for you guys yeah. it's not like a kind of you're not bringing um you know we, we've had it down the years at Bradford where sometimes you you know you get you get the likes of kind of a, you know Craig Bellamy a, a trying to go for a job and try to start down there at League One League Two level you're getting a tried and tested League One League probably you know League One level manager in, in my opinion and and you're getting a League One level coach um, guys who you know know the, know their way around around the, the, the football. A lot of a lot of fans will tell you they'd rather have that kind of like innovative kind of um, you know new style coach. Uh, so I don't think Steve Parkinson's that. I don't think Parkinson's Bill Parkinson's that. But you know they're not afraid to use stats. They're not afraid to um, kind of kind of do it the other way. But they you know they have methods that they use, and they will tell you that that, that it works. And you look at promotion at Bradford, a League Cup final at Bradford, an FA Cup final at Bradford, promotion at Bolton, kept them up in the first year. I know he left the following year, um, but, you know, in the circumstances that he did it at Bolton, um, you know, some, and I know the Bolton fans probably won't, you know, they're probably all over the appointment on Twitter telling you, oh, unlucky and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it, it's one of these things where if you get, when he gets you out of the league, you're not bothered, you know, it's, that's all. No, you're that's right. all you're yeah. you know, I said that to some love fans when they saw because obviously being in the North East, they a lot of them were complaining about the appointment. I said to them, you know what? Don't worry about whether he's a Premier League manager or not. You're not in the Premier League. You're in League One, and he will get you out of League One. And as it turned out, he didn't. But I think probably if the pandemic hadn't hit, they were aiming in that they were going in the right direction. So, you know, I think I think Wrexham have probably found themselves sort of fifteen, sixteen thousand fans in Bradford as well because I think you know he's he's. Um, it's a, it's a funny one, actually, because, you know, when, when he left Bradford and the circumstances he did, 
uh, went to Bolton, who were kind of our rivals at the time in some ways. You know, there was quite a lot of revisionism among Bradford fans. Oh well, we, you know, and I think because we had a good first season afterwards. But I think looking back now, you get a lot of people would tell you that they were the happiest sort of seasons for Bradford since their Premier League days. And you know, and he 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 brought in a team of of real proper characters, and you know, and, and they gave us a lot of happy memories. Um, still, my favourite memory as, as a Bradford fan is you know tied between um, the Arsenal uh, League Cup game. Uh, you know the Aston Villa, two two legs beat a Premier League team, go to uh, go to Wembley and, and and win the playoff that year as well, and then the next year beat Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. I mean, it's not a bad CV, is it? Um, no, we'll and, take that. Mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and you know, I, I think genuinely from the outside looking in, for Wrexham to have been that long out of the league um, is an absolute travesty because you know as much as as much as it's anybody can go down to that league it, you know it, it must feel like you've been down there forever and you need to be in the football league and, and um, yeah. you know, I think he will know that and it's whoever um, what I would say the, the, the last thing I would kind of say is you know when you look at your your two your sort of co-owners and you know I know there's a lot of excitement there but there's probably like after the initial excitement you wonder like right is how much substance is there to it do they know are they going to listen to the right people and for me I, you know, Rexham fans might disagree, but for me, going and getting Phil Parkinson suggests that the advice that they're taking on board is pretty grounded. You know, they're not going for some appointment that's going to be something something else. They're going for a guy who, you know, you would think is probably a little bit too good for that level. So it sounds like you know they're, they're, they mean business. They they're, they're going to give they're going to give the you know they're going to give the right people um, the uh, space to make the right decisions. In my opinion. Thanks again to uh, Mark Douglas for that uh, chat. Always nice to hear a more positive viewpoint about our new gaffer. Uh, but it's time now for one of our uh, regular features um, here on Fearless in Devotion, where we ask our guests to give their most fearless moments following the town. So that moment that really filled them with passion, with uh, euphoria, got them pumped up. It's whatever you want it to be. So, Rich, what's, uh, what's the moment that comes to mind um, when we talk about a fearless moment? Yeah, mine is from um, the FA Trophy weekend, which I know a lot of people would pick. Um, but mine was actually post-match. Um, obviously, we we won on penalties. And I'd spent the weekend, uh, Scotland first, watch Wales win, and then down to, down to Wembley. Um, but there was a plan in place, which if Wrexham were victorious, then the after party was um, the place I was running at the time. So I had to get ahead of the, the team coach, which um, I managed to sort of jump into a lift on a lift with Pete Jones, who managed to sort of get those of you who ever had a lift with Pete Jones know that I was always going to get there on time. It wasn't a problem. Um, put his foot to the floor and we got back sort of half an hour before the, before the players arrived back. Um, when we got back, um, Jay Harris launched into into the into the bar, uh, followed by Glenn Little, uh, sort of slightly inebriated from the coach trip home, and then we had one hell of a party, which I think there's still stories that aren't allowed to come out um, <laughs> since that happened. Um, but I think for me, one of the most surreal moments was it was about three o'clock in the morning, um, and the lads suddenly decided to to up their pace of drinking, and it was only me working, so I was struggling a little bit. 
So um, Neil Ashton and um, Adrian Chiselvich decided to help me on the bar. So you've got the scene where you've got all the lads around the bar and uh, those two guys and me serving vodkas, shots, all sorts of different bits and pieces to them. Uh, The night carried on and it ended um, at half six in the morning when Stephen Wright's partner rang the hotel and said, can you send Stephen to the hospital, please, because I'm going into labour. So we, 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 we packed him off. We, we packed him off for two bottles of Budweiser and a bacon butty. And it brought, and it brought the party to an end. And then the last, the last little cherry on top is I sent everybody to bed. And I was like, right, lads, you're going to have to go now. Like, it's, it's half six, seven o'clock in the morning. There was a quick snowball fight involving a few of the players, myself, and Pete, who was still there at the time. Uh, and everybody went to bed. And then I looked up and I was like, the, the trophy's still here. So what do I do now? And everybody gone to bed. So I felt the right thing to do was uh, to take the trophy with me to my, to, to my flat at the back of the hotel and wait till the morning. So actually when we won the FA trophy and there's always, you know, stories of the captain took the trophy to bed. Um, actually, I did that night. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's probably my moment, to be fair. Did you buy a breakfast in the morning? <laughs> yeah, table for two. <laughs> Spooning with a trophy. Brilliant. <laughs> Uh, who's the biggest drinker? Oh, I'll be honest. That night, Ebby had a good go. That, like you know, there was there was some there was some state. Um, Glenn Little was first to bed, definitely. Um, but, but by the end, it, it, it was really? great. To be fair, um, it, it was really good because they you know they really relaxed and and, and they obviously deserved that, and they were just. Uh, you know, I was very fortunate. They at the time they used they used where I worked quite a lot, and so I got to know quite a lot of them. And um, they were a really good bunch. And sort of Andy and, and and Billy Barr at the time they used to stay there quite often, and we had some great chats sort of into the long wee hours of the night where they would ask me my opinion on players and stuff. And just as a fan, it was just it was almost surreal. But like you just enjoyed those moments. Um, and and Andy was always a gentleman, and he he was up late. And as were the, all the senior guys, um, you know, they, 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 yeah, they were all, they all had a good go that day. Yeah. What was uh, Billy Barr like? Because, I mean, the only thing we've heard on this podcast about Billy Barr was from Lee Fowler, who I think I can quote him as saying, I just didn't like his personality when asked yeah. why I didn't like him. So yeah. not really sure how you recover from that. But. Yeah, no. Um, look, I, I've got to be honest, in all the dealings I had with him and Andy, and, and Jenny, they were both staying there together, you know, from a from a personal point of view of fan over bar, chatting away to first team coach and manager. They were great. You know, I, I, it was really nice. Actually, I mean, the game never happened. But I remember that sort of Andy Morrell text me maybe 18 months ago trying to book him for some food for, I think it was he at Nuneaton for, for a short period of time before COVID. Um you know, I'm still still getting the odd message asking if you know people can stop off and have food if they're working at different clubs and stuff. And um, yeah, Billy Billy was great with me. You know, you know I can't, but I, you know, I, he wasn't paid to train me and put me in a football team. He was paying me for a pint of cider, so it was fine. You know. <laughs> right. I, I, can you can you reveal any other stories from that night, or is there seems to be some code of silence around this night? Uh, yeah, I think I think in fairness to everybody involved, because. I, you know, it was a few years ago, so I'm sure people have met with different people now, etc. So <laughs> I think, I think, out of fairness to all of them, I think it's something that we can. Anybody who was there, 
you know, I'm sure we'll have tales from what was uh, an amazing night. And um, and yeah, I don't I don't think it's my place to uh, to, to publicise any of those stories. Keep it for your book in future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. But was Glendale in a wheelbarrow? Can you confirm or deny that? This is a problem. Yeah, no, it was it was a pram. Yeah, it definitely wasn't a wheelbarrow because we just didn't have one knocking around. And, and I always remember at the time we we there was there was one room that was like far like the exec suite. You know, it was far superior to any of the rooms. And basically, all the players that night wanted it. And there was offers of all sorts: shirts, medals, anything. You know, and uh, and Glenn Little was desperate for it. But like basically, with Glenn, we were like, well, if you can walk there, you can have it. And it just didn't happen. It just didn't happen. <laughs> we'll have to get Glenn on because I feel like he needs to defend himself as well. First, oh, it, I thought better the, of him. Oh, the man's an absolute character. I remember one day I was working. I was working in a in a pub in, in Bangor on D that we owned. He just walked into the kitchen. Hi, oh, Richie, you okay? I said, what are you doing? Can't just walk in there. Just walk in. Yeah, my Sunday lunch is great. Thanks very much. And then just walk straight back out. Is that right? Brilliant. Thanks. <laughs> that, that's what you got with him. You know, he's just, you know, he's an absolute character. He's a great guy. You know, really, really a lot of time for him. Uh, you know, we all know he, he nutmeg caca because that's what he dined out on. And uh, just a really good guy. A really good guy. We have to get him on just so he can do his stunt and enter, um, impression as he did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hilarious. Unreal. Well, thanks very much for that, Rich. Uh, superb, fearless moment. And next up, we have got a feature we haven't actually done in a while, but it's uh, when we take a little trip down memory lane in History Only Tells a Story. In this feature, uh, one of us picks a famous Wrexham clip from the archive. Tim, you're up today. What have you got for us? I have picked a, a moment in time going back to 1995. It was the last time Wrexham won the Welsh Cup. Um, I think it was our 23rd time we won it, which makes us the uh, the record. Um, uh, the, the team has won it the record number of times, really. Um, so, yeah, 1995 versus Cardiff City in the um, old Cardiff Arms Park. It was just, um, I don't know, it's just one of those things that we, we were clearly the, the underdog that day. We were in their home, home you know, their home city. And I don't know, I don't know what it was. It just felt there's something special about this team. Um, so, yeah, it, it was just, it, it panned out really, really nicely in the end. And uh, we steamed into two-goal lead and they got one back, but we held out and the scenes after were, were superb. So I shall play you the clip of uh, Gary Bennett's second goal. He's not offside. Bennett, and that's a second for Wrexham. Well, classic changing defence into attack. And it's Gary Bennett, and it's Cardiff City nil. Wrexham two. So, yeah, great scenes. And if you watch, even though I love watching that, that goal back because it's such a lovely, fluid counter-attacking move. And Bennett hits it. Um, it hits their keeper. If it doesn't hit their keeper, it probably goes wide. And it clips the keeper and spins 
it, it, the trajectory of the ball changes, so it just creeps into the far corner. But I can't remember how many Wrexham fans went down that 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 day. And um, we were outnumbered, maybe three or four to one. But there's definitely a good couple of thousand. I can't remember how many went, but we were high up in the gods of the. Of yeah, I was going to say that. I was at that game, and all I can remember is how steep Cardiff Arms was. Yeah. I felt I was going to totter over. It was a proper old concrete bowl, wasn't it? It was just like, mm. you know, proper in the lap of the gods. Great team we had, you know, Maria and, and, and so on and so forth from, from front to back. We were just a decent side and and we made um, a fairly solid Cardiff City side look pretty ordinary that day. So that was good. And there was a lot of uh, interesting scenes in the streets afterwards, <laughs> yeah, um, which many an older head will have tales of. But yeah, great time, loved it. And um I think it was one of those moments that, you know, I think I'd been supporting them for about four years at that point. Um, and, and when moments like that come along, you know, as we know, they're few and far between. Um, it just solidifies your your love for the game and, and, and for the for the town, really. Fair play to my to my mum. Um, uh, she, you know, she's not a huge football fan. And uh, for whatever reason, my dad couldn't take me. So she took me down and she don't really go to football matches. And um, so she hasn't had many experiences of watching Wrexham, but um, Cardiff City away in the Welsh Cup uh, at the Arms Park. And as Tim alluded to after the game, it was tasty and uh, it was just me and my mum. And uh, so she got to see it. Um, she's never been back since. Um, and she still <laughs> asks about results. But I think I think, I think, think 90 minutes being outnumbered down at Cardiff City was enough for her uh, to uh, to not need to take me again after that. I went down on my own and I can just remember, obviously I wasn't getting involved in any of the, I mean, I was only about 15, 16 in a full length leather jacket. So, you know, I wasn't going to, I'm not, the, I'm, I'm not your, your average ca- casual back then. You went full Columbine. Yeah, I was a Christopher Eccleston phase were you in Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I had a, I think I had a pair of cowboy boots on as well, but you know, don't quote me on that. It's just, it's just what the cool kids were wearing in Yale at that point. Um, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, I can remember being on the bus and the bus driver said, get your head down, get your head down. And then just all the windows start. I don't know if any of them broke, but just windows starting to sort of shudder as they were chucking bricks. It was it was a bit hairy for, for a young lad like me, but thoroughly enjoyable. But coming back to like you say that these things are few and far between. Back then they weren't. Back then that sort of stuff you, you took as pretty, pretty steady. You'd have a few of those a season. Yeah, I suppose from the Welsh Cup point of view, I think I think it was just the magnitude of it. It was like the, Wrexham playing in a big stadium down in Cardiff. Um, you know, it wasn't really neutral territory in any way, shape, or form. And it's you know, I, I think it was the only time that that I can remember where we ever turned Cardiff over on their own on their own patch. You know, I think every time we went to the Ninian, we either got wallops, or I think maybe there was a draw there on a Tuesday night, and Ian Stevens scored. That's about yeah. all I can remember. Um, but yeah, more often than not, we tended to get a, a bit of a crappy, crappy hiding down there on the pitch. So yeah, I was too too young to go. But my brother um, went. Stephen Hawkins he joined the front. You know what? I'm not. I, Liam, Liam, Liam. So yeah, he wasn't happy. You sound like the no. guy from fucking Breaking Bad. I'm not going to edit this out this week, right? Just to give uh, our 32 (laughs) listeners a taste of the shite I have to put up with every single week. He claims he's got a new router. 
That was stupendous. Liam, do you want to try it again? How am I coming through now? Fine. Okay. Uh, <clears throat> so I was... Uh, no, no, was it's not. Oh, my, my brother went, and his uh, no. memory is that after the game... <laughs> no, he didn't see that. <laughs> All right, but to just to end on this, I'm just going to go through the team that day, right? That yeah. team that day was Marriott, Brace, Barry Jones, Barry Hunter, Phil Hardy, who was captain, Kieran Durkin, Gareth Owen, Brian Hughes, Carl Connolly, Stephen Morris, and Gary Bennett. Now, apart from Stephen Morris, that <laughs> is a brilliant team. But Stephen Morris actually set up the goal, didn't he? He did, yeah, yeah. Nice, nice little pass. Give and go. Whatever happened to Steve Morris? I think he went to Bangor. They all go to Bangor, mate. <laughs> Bangor or Bala. Have a look. Yeah. Steve Morris. Police officer. Is he? Yeah. Hmm. God, he only made one appearance after he left Wrexham. He played for South. He went to Rochdale on loan. No appearances, no goals. Then he went to Southport and made one appearance. And then he went to Chelmsford City. But there's no appearances numbered. I reckon it just, you know, Wikipedia isn't probably firing then, so it's quite hard to probably track a non-league career. No, I reckon he never played again. Okay, and fair enough. It was horrible, we'll, we'll words you, horrible words you said about him, Andy, you know, and the the service he gave Wrexham. And also he's a police officer, so, you know, you don't want to piss off the police. PCSOs are fine, but the police, no. <laughs> yeah, they've got no power. Um, just a hobby, Bobby. Thank you so much. <laughs> Last but not least on the podcast, it's time for uh, Shitey Heroes. Not sure we really need to explain this anymore. Um, who did we pick in goal last week? Uh, I think it was Xavi Valero that got the nod, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? Xavi Valero is in goals. Um, so, Liam, let's give this a go with your internet. Why don't you go up first, uh, see if it works. <laughs> yeah, so, you've got 30 seconds. I internet heroes. You've got 30 seconds to make your case for the right-backs that we're discussing this week. Uh, three, two, one, go. Right, I'm going to have to apologise to you, Reese, to start off with, because I know Danny Alfa is a close mate of yours. Um, but sadly, he was my nomination for shitey heroes for the right backs, mainly for the reason that he is not Curtis Obeng, as was confirmed by anyone who saw him play, particularly in his first game uh, against Stockport when we lost 1-0. Didn't really look the part. I mean, I'm not saying he's the worst ever defender in the world, but compared to Curtis, he just didn't have the same attributes. Positional sense wasn't really there. Couldn't bomb down the wings like Curtis. So for that reason, Reese Williams is my nomination. Okay, thanks for that, um, Danny Elfie. Uh, I'll go next then, why not? Um, I'll try and get this one done in um, 30 seconds. Um, I'll count myself in, why not? Three, two, one, go. I'm going to nominate Jazzy Barnum Bob. Um, fantastic name, rubbish player. Brought in by Brian Hughes. He only made two National League appearances after uh, Keats returned to the race course. Um, he was actually signed by Oli Gunnar Solskjaer for Cardiff City. He's always had an eye for a player, as Oli, uh, before making 42 appearances for Newport County and then finding his way up to the town. Um, 
I'm struggling for things to say, to be honest. He was obviously part of one of the worst teams uh, in the club's history. Nothing personal, but he was just pretty poor. Um, that's my case. Bob was Bob Inns. Oh, that just came to me then. Anyway, sorry. Uh, that's me. That's my case made. Um, Tim, why don't you go next? Three, two, one, go. Hurst, basically. Um, what more can be said? 17 appearances, no goals, even less brains if that's possible to have. You can't do your job right if you haven't got if if, if your head's not right off the pitch. And he's, wherever James Hurst went, trouble followed. There's a long history of it, but he wasn't very good. He was a bit of a flapper on the pitch. He looked a bit lost. Off the pitch, we all know his troubles. He got convicted of drink drink driving whilst at Wrexham. You only need to look at the stories to see what he said to people. He's gone on to wander up into Scotland and he's coughed in police officers' faces, saying he's got COVID, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, long story short, catalogue of errors. Not a very good player. Seemingly not a very nice person, so I'm not going to waste any more time discussing him. Well, that's a good turn. Okay, uh, Andy, you're, uh, you're, you're up next. Uh, 30 seconds. Do you want 30, Andy? No, give me 60. I've oh, got chapter and verse right. on this fella. 60 seconds for the Gilpin. Three, two, one, go. I'm convinced Dean Saunders was playing Championship Manager 2001-2002 during his time at Wrexham. Players came in and out like a revolving door. I half expected him to turn up with Freddie Adu, Mark Kerr, Michael Duff and Chernu Samba, but we'd already had him. He did buy former fire and old right-back Christian <laughs> Guyan, who was a decent signing and good value in that game. This is thanks to his dubious link-up with French agent Willie Mackay, cleared of massive fraud charges only last month. While searching for pictures for the new issue of Fearless, I came across Guyan's signing picture from Les. He was in a big coat and a bobble hat, and he looked freezing. It was an echo of what to come, was to come. He made two FA Trophy appearances and didn't finish either of them. He was promptly released. This was a lad who'd won the FA, oh, sorry, the UEFA Cup and had 23 caps for Ghana. The fact that he was utter shite for us was Pete Wrexham, 2009. Saunders should have signed Tommy Swindle Larson. Superbly done with two seconds to spare. Okay, um, Rich, you've heard the cases made for each one. What's your what's your instant thoughts? Any anything jump out to you? Um, Danny Alfie, I think, yeah, he was on to he was never going to be successful as the direct replacement for Curtis Obeng. And I think as we look back over history, I think a lot of people have decided that that was one of the major reasons why perhaps we didn't go up that season. Um, his career after us was, I think, at best checkered. I think I'm sure he had a loan spell at Pompey or something like that. Um, but I, I don't think he pulled up many trees following his loan spell with us. In fact, I, I think he came he back, up, didn't he? For a... he, en- he ended up at, yeah, he came back and I think he ended up at Aberystwyth then. Um, That's right. Oh, well. but, but what I have to say is, uh, and it's making me sound like a little bit of a football groupie, um, he also stayed at the hotel I was working at. So uh, he's a really nice guy. So I refuse to put him, I do not think he should go in based on the fact that he was a very, very polite young man when he came to stay and he stayed with us for three months. So he gets a tick, I think, from me. Um, The other guys, I have to be honest, um, as soon as Andy said about champ manager, I thought, oh, I hope I know where this is going. Um, And that would have been that would have been my pick because I, I, you know, I appreciate the guy only played two games. But I remember being at the game and somebody said, oh, it's 
he's one of UEFA Cup. And literally, you just think, he's got to be good then, hasn't he? And um, I just remember, I think like in the first half, I just remember somebody rolling a pass across to him and he just couldn't control it. Then he, you know, he, throw-in-wise, he made Emad look technically fantastic at throw-ins. He wasn't great. Everything he did that day, I remember in that FA Trophy game, was, was horrendous. And for a guy to have sort of been, have that much success, international caps and things like that, he just should have been better than what he was. Um, and I think for me... While the other guys, yeah, I agree. Hurst off the pitch seems to have sort of lost his marbles. Um, and who's the fourth one? Jazzy Barnum Bob. Oh, yes, Jazzy. Yeah, yeah, he was crap. Um, but I think I would vote for the championship manager favourite because I just think um, you, you can't rock up having one of your way for cup and not being able to trap, trap a ball, basically. Seems fair. A special mention for a, for a right back who hasn't been mentioned here. But do you remember the fellow who played 45 minutes away at Bromley for Gary Mills? So he was a loanee from Stoke, and I think his name was something yeah. Watkin. I'm, I'm not going to say Watkin Jones because that's obviously was, a builder's. I was, I was about, but I was about Mason. a notable mentions um, thing because I, I put something out on Twitter before because my, my brain wasn't working. So that was mentioned on here. I'm trying to find it now. Um Anyway, let me just go through some of the other mentions. So Jordan McMillan was one of them. Mason Watkins-Clark was the one you were on about, Andy. Yeah. Um, Mason Watkins-Clark played one half of our opening fixture at Bromley before being hooked and never seen again. Kyle Critchell, Willie Miller, Tyler Reed, Naughty Naughty, Declan Walker, Michael Ryan, uh, Yavin Vidal, uh, Kevin Roberts, Wes Baines. Uh, what else have we got? Kevin Roberts is a bit harsh. Yeah, oh, very harsh. I think that, yeah. Steve Thomason, not sure. Um, uh, well, Wilkin basically said that, didn't he, a couple of weeks ago, in a polite, in a politer term. Lee Roach. <laughs> Obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of calls. Scott Williams, apparently. Uh, I can just about remember Scott Williams. I'm going to um, say Silvio Span as well, because, I mean, he um, was technically a midfielder, but we didn't, didn't Saunders yeah. adapt him to right back? I think so. Where he was equally poor. I mean, yeah. I think he's another one, a bit like Christian Gayan. We all saw that bloody free kick he scored on YouTube and all <laughs> went mental and then very quickly realized that he was absolutely awful. He played quite a few, made a quite a few appearances in the end, didn't he? I, I mean, Christ. Yeah, we, 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 we persevered with him for a couple of years, I think. Um, paid big money for him I think he was on good wages I could I could just I, I always felt sorry for him because I think it was all Chingma away I was just standing on the touchline and he was playing right wing back and Saunders for 45 minutes just absolutely bollocked him I, I felt sorry for the fella honestly like it was non-stop stand here Silvio what are you doing Silvio why are you wandering <laughs> over there Silvio so I, I, I've got a bit of uh, I've, I've got a bit of uh yeah. Sort of goodwill for him, but he was I think shit. He, he arrived with the, the weight of um, the, the Flinnadadians on his shoulder, didn't he? Because I think we were all, all our just sort of romantic hairs pricked up when we signed him, like, oh my gosh, an exciting Trinidadian. And he just was, was poor, bless him. Um, okay, anyone, anyone else willing to budge on theirs? Rich has, has come out early and, and is going for Christian Guyan. Liam, what are your thoughts on the other names that were mentioned? 
Um, I think James Hurst is well worthy just for the fact that he represented himself in court and called in Ferdinand Takai as his star witness. So just for that, just for that alone, he gets a, a special mention for me. Right, so that's another one, another one for James Hurst. I mean, I think we're we're going down Christian Guyan that route, are we, Tim? Are we all agreed? That's yeah. a pretty. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, Guyan. I mean, considering his is um past um what we were maybe expecting didn't really <laughs> didn't really materialize so yeah he's going to get it um yeah the, the hearse thing obviously I, I i i stick by what i said if he's got a lot of demons i hope he sorts them out um you know he's clearly got some talent somewhere because apparently arsenal and man united wanted him before before he went to portsmouth obviously many many moons ago so um i hope he sorts his shit out basically so yeah, but yeah, definitely Guyan for me as well. There we go, Tim. You, you you should start up a sister podcast where you sort of invite people on to sort of exercise their demons or something. No, not him. <laughs> okay, okay, <laughs> understood. <laughs> anyway, place for that. <laughs> Christian Guyan, uh, welcome to our shitey heroes. Uh, sorry, but welcome. As you're right back next week, we'll be discussing centre-backs um, working the way through the team but uh, that's all for today Rich thank you very much for joining us it's been a pleasure my pleasure thank you for having me uh, and that's it for this week's episode we're working hard behind the scenes to line up some guests for you over the next few weeks stay tuned on that but for now goodbye cheers bye bye see you cheers bye bye <laughs>